Acts 6, 8, 15, 8 through 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Sicily and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. Now we'll do some more on Stephen next week, but let's stop there for now. Stephen was selected because he fulfilled the requirement that they had for these men, which was what? That they were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That's what they were looking for. And he was that kind of person. There was there were several of them that were. But what I want to tether together today is that how that being full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom should translate into being full of grace and power. All right? Because these things lead to those things. Um, first of all, let's start with being full of the Holy Spirit. If you look at what it means, full of the Holy Spirit, at this particular time, there's not really any... Uh, question one way or the other that we're, we're basically talking about the infillment of the Holy Spirit, like what happened on Acts chapter two. All right. We're about two years into the church. And one of the things that was common at that time was that, that people were being filled with the spirit. And, uh, and in many ways you would, you, you would say that it was sort of the, the, the proof of the pudding of the transformation that God was doing in people's lives because in Acts 10, which we'll get to, when the house of Cornelius was filled with the Holy Spirit, the, what, it, what it stopped was this whole idea that, you know, this is a Jew thing. The Gentiles got it. And the argument was, how can, how can we not accept them when, the, when God has filled them with the Holy Spirit, just like he's filled us with the Holy Spirit? And so there was, this is what was bringing the church together. This was what was really a unifying factor in what God was doing among the Jews and this faith of following Jesus Christ. Now, Paul will go on to talk about the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. But at this point, the Spirit's presence is it is creating the unity of the church and it is giving that, that still that power of the, the signs and wonders and the phenomenal things that God was doing. The supernatural is present. Now, when we were in Acts 5.12, we read this. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And I think it's possible that then, as now, that there was this idea, well, the apostles, you know, have the, the corner on the market of the supernatural and, and being used of God to do the miraculous. <clears throat> so what is a blessing to me from this particular passage is that, that we see and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Who? Stephen. Stephen is the first recorded person that we have that literally is not an apostle. He was not picked by Jesus for the purpose of being a disciple and then to be an apostle. Now, this was a guy that was picked by the congregation to basically step into a role of service. 
And yet, what is God doing? God is using him to do signs and wonders. <clears throat> and so I think it's very important that you get this in your head, that being full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and grace and power, that's more of what is the ingredients to be used by God than having an apostolic title over your name, which is good because that means instead of having a one here and one there, that's putting it out there for everybody so that anybody can be used to God to do supernatural things. So let me answer this question real quickly. Do you understand what we're talking about when we're talking about signs and wonders, all right? The simple definition of that is the works of Jesus. Jesus did signs and wonders. Um, we read it in the gospel. It'll make a reference to the signs that Jesus did. But then when we get to Acts chapter 2, 22, which we read when we were there, it says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So the things that Jesus did, that was signs and wonders. And here we have this, this I think if, if one plus one equals two, then let's put it together here. If Jesus' objective is to save the world and he gave us the Holy Spirit for the purpose of helping us accomplish that objective, right? Then if the same spirit that empowered him dwells in us, then the same things that he did ought to be being done by us. John 14, 12, Jesus said these words. He said, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So if you get the, 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 the order of events here, Jesus was full of the Spirit. He goes to the Father and he says, what? I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter two or Acts chapter one, he says, wait until you get it. In chapter two, he gives it, right? And so pretty much every theologian is in agreement that when, when Jesus was speaking in John 14, 12, that he was speaking of when this moment right here would come after the spirit would be poured out upon all flesh, that there would be this opportunity that we then would be able with the same power of the Lord operating in us to, to be used to God to do signs and wonders, to do supernatural things. Folks, I want you to get this in your head. You have the power and the ability in Jesus' name to lay your hands upon somebody and to pray for them and the Lord touch and heal them just as much as anybody else can. Now, even though the, as a pastor, I would want to pray and believe for that, and our elders pray and believe for that, you got to get it in your head that whether you are somebody or nobody, in Jesus' name, you have been given the same spirit, and you have the ability to pray, and now you need to put into your expectations that when you pray and believe, that God's going to do something supernatural. You're not throwing it to the wind. You're believing very specifically Whoever, Jesus said, whoever believes. Now, the thing about whoever is that's pretty generic, isn't it? I'm a whoever, you're a whoever. Raise your hand if you're whoever. We are whoever's. The problem is, is, is that so many don't believe <laughs> that they can do what whoever can do. And I don't know why we think that whoever's gotta be somebody else. You're a whoever. You can Believe and do the works the Lord wants to get done. 
And so I want you to not think, oh, well, you know, let's call the elder and have them pray because the elders, will they have some kind of extra connection to God. And if they pray, God will do a miracle. Now, you know what? When the situation arises, take a hold, pray, believe, and watch God use you. All right. Uh, I want to just challenge you as we are going through Acts. What God did is what God wants to do. The way he started the church is the way he wants to finish the church. We need to, to see the common work of the Lord in this day that we saw in that day. All right, so like I said in the beginning, I want to tie the impact of full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom with full of grace and power. <clears throat> if you're filled with the Spirit and you have a good understanding of God, and I trust that's, that's you, all right? That should lead you to operate more so in grace and power. Now, let's talk about grace for just a moment. Um, grace is a characteristic of God. And it's why he's so magnificent. Because when he looks at us, he doesn't see the mess. He sees what you can be, what he designed you to be. He, that's the reason why he redeems us. Is not because, oh, you're, you're pretty, and so I redeem pretty people. Uh, you're smart. I redeem smart people. No. He looks at and he says, you're a mess. You qualify. He, he, his grace is such that he is redeeming people and, and not looking at what they've done with their life, but what they could do by his great power. <clears throat> it's a very powerful attribute that we need today when we are looking around at the world that we're in. Listen, we have a world that is messed up. We have a lot of people whose lives are disastrous. But instead of us looking at them and shaking our head, we need to have the characteristic of God in us, that, that grace of God that looks at them and literally says, if it were not for the grace of God, there go I. See, that's important church needs that um uh, follow me if my cousin had not moved to gilmer texas which was a town next to longview if my cousin had not stopped at a place and in the sign in the window was a sign with a picture of a guy that was his drinking buddy his the guy that he bar hopped with and he looked at this picture and he recognized the face. He recognized the name and he was preaching at the church. So if my cousin had not seen the sign and he'd not walked into the church to see if God could actually do that in somebody's life. And then that night, give his heart to the Lord. And if two nights later, when he invited me, I had not gone to that church and I had not walked from the back to the front and accepted the free gift to salvation that was being offered to me that transformed my life. If, 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 if all those things hadn't happened, you'd be listening to a different preacher this morning. But that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. And that's the grace that needs to be operating out of our lives as we are working with and looking at other people that there is this that same kind of mentality that it's his grace that is now coupled with my faith and that's the only reason why we're here. His grace and then you're smart enough to respond with faith and accept it 
and we're saved. Grace is a powerful thing. <clears throat> it's also empowering to us. <clears throat> I, tell you, I say all the time, grace gives us the power to do what's right. It gives us the power not to sin, but gives us the power to do what's right. But grace is also the power that keeps us going in the face of difficult situations. We read about how Paul literally, you know, made comment to the grace that carried him through, the grace that was sufficient to get through the situation, right? Well, what I want you to see is that this situation right here was not good for Stephen. It was not going to turn out well. And I think that he sensed that. But he did not change his direction because the grace and the power of God was there for him to continue because he's going to preach. We'll talk about that next week. He is going to preach a very powerful message to this group of people. But you know, that grace that's there to give you the ability to not give up, to not surrender. How many of you know who William Carey is? Anybody? Okay, anyway. William Carey was a missionary to India. He spent 41 years in India. In 41 years, it's believed that he reached maybe 700 people out of those millions of people in India. But at the cost of two wives and two sons, he persevered when his first wife passed. He persevered when his first son passed. He persevered after his second wife passed and after his second son passed. Why? Because those people were lost and they needed a preacher. And at that particular time, William Carey was the only preacher in India trying to reach him. That grace, that motivation that comes from that. Stephen had that grace. These people were not looking at him like, oh yeah, amen brother, preach it. More like growls and scowls. But he was preaching a message that needed to be heard. Uh, I see Stephen as an example of what God wants you and I to be. And that is both ordinary and exceptional at the same time. You see, Stephen was an ordinary guy. He wasn't picked to pastor the church. He was picked to serve and take care of the widows. He was picked to fill a spot, to, to help out in however he could. And yet God used him in an extraordinary way. God rose, rose him, is that right? Rose him? Lifted him, elevated him whatever, so that he had this dynamic presence to be able to preach the word of God. And, and here's the thing, it says about him, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Think about that. I mean, they, they could not withstand him. There was such a presence, such an anointing upon him that, that what are you going to say? Unless, of course, you make it up. But here's the thing. Haters are going to hate. The hard-hearted are always going to be critical and, and maybe even try to inflict pain on the righteous. But it should always be the Christ in us that they are refusing and not us. The Jesus in us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.16 says, To those who are perishing, we are the dreadful smell of death. And doom, but to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. 
I don't know if you get the an analogy there. You're one person, but your, your, your perception is from two different angles. To those that are rejecting God, you are the conviction they don't want, and they don't want to hear you. You're like death sentence. But to the person over here that, that God is stirring and working on, you are that life-giving fragrance that says, you know what, God loves you. Yeah, but I'm a man, but God loves you. So to one, we're like a death sentence, and to the other, we're a life-giving perfume. <clears throat> Let those who always reject us, this is, this is simple but direct. You ready? Let those who always reject us, reject us because they're refusing the love and the grace of God that we're trying to give, and not because they feel like we are judging them or uncaring about them. Don't load their gun against us. Show the love of Jesus. Be grace unto them. And if they reject it, they reject it. But let it not be on us. So anyway, here we are. They got no case except making one up. So they manufactured some uh, false accusations. And I think that's really good. Listen, you know you're living close to the Lord when they got to make up stuff because they can't find it. The sad part about Christianity has been, it's been easy to find it on us. We've got a lot of our own dirt. But we should live in such a way that they can't criticize us because of, of how we're living. They can only criticize us by making something up. Well, he's just too much like Jesus. Well, no, there's a good compliment criticism I would take. Anyway, uh, what, what they said, he said, was we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered us. That is a true statement, right? You do understand that. that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, they, they, they've taken it out of context, but he did say that the temple would be destroyed and he did change all the customs of Moses because he became all of the sacrifices, all of the offerings. He became everything, the sin offering, the peace offering. He became all of that. So there was never a need to offer up some lamb because Christ was the lamb. So all of that was true. And some of you may have heard this. I know in a, in a coffee conversation one time I talked about it, but I actually made it on the Kansas City News many, many years ago. They called me up for an interview. I mean, have I told you that? Anyway, they, they, they called up for an interview. And it was because what was going on at that particular time, the school was having debates and whatever about bringing in what's called uh, intelligent design, right? So in contrast to evolution, the teaching of intelligent design. For whatever reason, I got a call. They said, can we interview concerning the subject matter? I said, sure. So they came in there, we sat down. We talked for about 15 minutes. 15 minutes, the camera's rolling, all right? When it was all said and done, that night at news, they, they're talking about evolution, and here's what they said. They said, well, we know where Pastor Keith Jones in Ottawa stands, and here's what they put. Personally, I think this is stupid. That's what I got. In regards to evolution, Pastor Keith thinks, personally, I think this is stupid. Now, that was actually said. They didn't actually put words in my mouth. I did actually say that, but not in the context of that. I said it in the context of, I think, personally, it's stupid that we send kids to school to learn a theory when we actually send them to learn facts. 
Now that's what the statement was. So here's what I know, okay? If you ever have your 15 minutes of glamour on the, on, on the camera, don't say anything. Because it will be misconstrued. All right, I want to finish up with this. The last line says, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now think about that for just a moment. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That stirs up two questions that I want to ask you real quickly. Would that describe you if you were being verbally attacked and falsely accused? Would you still have a countenance of the Lord, love? Or would you look like, turn the camera off and I'm going to hit you over the head? Paul said in Philippians 3.10, he said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. You know what amazed me about the first time the, the disciples were really persecuted how that they left there and they said, thank you that we are considered worthy to suffer for your name. That's, that's an admirable mentality to what they just went through. You see, here's the thing. Uh, if you want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, I can guarantee there's going to be an opportunity for you to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Because to reach the heights, you have to go through the depths. And that's just the way it is in him. I want a good name. But a bad one for the right reason is also acceptable. If being associated with Jesus Christ gives us a bad name, well, you know what? That's a good name to acquire. And the second thing is this. is Why did such a sight not persuade anybody there to stop and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy's glowing like an angel. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe, maybe we're, we should stop and not continue doing this. <clears throat> hard hearts are hard because they have rejected the truth. We have a lot of hard hearts in the world today. Read Revelations. There will be countless millions of hard hearts who when God is even opening up judgment and portions that they're still shaking their fists and mad at him. There's a lot of hard hearts. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.18 tells us that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have rejected the truth. They have hardened their heart. But I want you to hear me. Not everybody that is hard-hearted is destined for destruction. Some people are hard-hearted because they've been hurt. Some people are hard-hearted because um, they were in a church and something happened in that church and it crushed them and now they're just somewhere between mad at the church and disappointed or mad at God. They're just hard-hearted because of something that has happened. And, and listen, by grace, by grace, God can use you to start melting that hardness off of their heart. You may have somebody in your life. I, I used the, the guy Bubba in the first service because I couldn't think of any Bubba that was in here. Is there a Bubba in here? No? Okay. So if you're wondering why God put Bubba in your life and Bubba seems to be so anti-against your message of love, 
it could very well be that because God knows in his grace that Bubba's going to come around. He's just hard. And he's going to take time and grace and love and patience and a little bit of the gospel here, a little bit of the gospel there, but you just got to keep doing that. Even though it seems like you're not making any ground whatsoever, God can break hard hearts. He can. And until God says, nope, move on, you just need to be that grace. That grace and that power of God to keep reaching into that person's life. Just keep loving them until something changes. Would you stand with me? Father, you covered a lot of stuff real quickly. But my prayer is simple, Lord. I believe that right this moment, the Lord is looking for the Stevens. They, they, they may have thought that their job was to just teach this class, serve in this position, fill this vacancy. But Lord, they are not just ordinary. They are also extraordinary. And I pray that you would help us to see that there is a Stephen in us. There is by the Holy Spirit and wisdom, the ability to operate in grace and power and to impact. Because God, it is, it is Stephen and the grace and power that he is working in. It's going to be the first dynamic change in a man named Paul. Because he too is going to see grace under pressure and how Stephen dies in honor of the Lord. We need to be Stephens. Not that we all need to get stoned and killed, but we all need to stand in adversity and be grace and power. And I pray, raise up an army of Stephens in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Amen. God bless you.